Well, doesn't the uh, church sanctuary looks awesome, doesn't it? I love it when it's uh, all decorated for, for Christmas. And, um, you know, we do that to, uh, to celebrate our Lord and Savior. Um, to celebrate the scriptures that remind us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Uh, to remember in John's gospel when he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, uh, and that's, why we, that's why we celebrate. That's why we, we have the uh, remembrance through the Advent. That's why we, we decorate the sanctuary. Um, and, and I, even since, uh, just even as a kid, I remember standing in front of, you know, the, the, um, the manger scene and, uh, the nativity, and and I would stare at each figure, and um, and I I wonder about it even more now than I used to. But even as a kid, I remember like staring into the figures and studying their faces, you know, and and kind of wondering like, what were you thinking, you know, like in that like you know it's it's a snapshot of a moment uh, in history where when. Um, when our Lord was uh, born upon this earth, and and we have this snapshot, and I, I look at the figures, and I look at the face of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and and I, I I just am in wonder, like what what was going through your mind? What were you really thinking? Um, what what was it like to be there in that moment? And um, and I I really believe that that um, as we open the scriptures this morning that that the Lord has preserved this account for us so that we would all be drawn into the awe of, of what He has done and, and how it came to pass. And so as we go, as we work our way towards uh, Christmas, one of my desires here is, is I, I've just become really familiar, I guess, and been thinking a lot this year about... Um, about the truth of, of the gospel message, uh, about the truth of Christ coming to earth, and, and thinking about how much of it gets lost in translation just in, in the, our cultural setting. And, and so my desire as we work towards Christmas is just to go through the birth account of Christ, to go through all those things that the nativity represents and, and that we sing about, and my, my uh, usually, you know, we're working our way, we've been working our way through Exodus, and we really, um, my, my hope is that we're able to kind of break down the text and, and really kind of uh, dig deeper into it. But I'm more concerned right now as we work our way towards Christmas with, with the message just being proclaimed and um, us knowing what it is, us knowing what happened uh, what is the story of Christmas? What actually ha- took place there so many years ago? And that is my main concern as we walk uh, towards Christmas here or where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so this morning we're going to, where we finished up uh, last week, talking about Mary, uh, the angel appearing to Mary and Mary's response to that um, in this proclamation that she was going to give birth uh, to the Savior um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and and the and then the, um, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth 
that Elizabeth became pregnant in her, in her later years and that this was going to be John the baptizer that she gave birth to. And then Mary went and, and hung out at Elizabeth's for a while. And so that's where we were last week. And this week, we're going to spend most of our time in Luke chapter 2. But before we do that, I want to go to Matthew chapter 1 and read about the account of the angel um, appearing to Joseph in a dream so that we can kind of understand some of the moving parts here as all of this was coming together. It's, it's like, uh, you know, when you watch a, um, when you watch a, a movie and it, it, and it cuts away to different parts of the story, and as the movie progresses, you start to see how all these parts start coming together. And, and uh, so we're looking at, at the various uh, moving pieces here, moving parts of, of the unfolding of the birth of Christ. And um, let's, let's just ask the Lord here to lead us this morning before we read. Father, as we come to your word, we thank you that you have preserved it for us, that we would know truth, that that truth would lead us to forgiveness and eternal life through our Savior, Jesus Christ, your one and only Son whom you've given for us. Lord, we ask that you would, um, that you would open our eyes that you would reveal this truth to us, that you would help us to grasp more fully what it is that you have done. And Lord, the, what it means that you have come to earth to save us. Lord, we also just ask that our hearts would be a fertile place, Lord, for the seed of your word to be sown today, um, that we would be provoked to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are, to grow closer to you, to walk in your ways, to have our lives, our very lives, uh, tell the story, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Christ Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In other words, um, they were engaged to be married. It was uh, a more official thing than than what we typically culturally call engagement. It was a more official um, uh, lead up to actually uh, being married. Um, so they, when it says they hadn't come together there, it means they hadn't had intercourse as a married couple. Um, and so Joseph, you can imagine, he's, being, he's betrothed to, to Mary. And uh, so when he finds some of this stuff out, um, he's kind of shocked by the whole deal. And so he says when his mother, um, uh, so the birth of Christ happens this way. So Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph's desire here was um, not to to publicly humiliate and shame Mary. I mean, what we see from Joseph is he is an honorable man who wants to to handle this in a way that um, doesn't, ruin Mary and and yet still recognizes that from his perspective so far 
that some wrong has occurred, some betrayal, some disloyalty has occurred on her part. That's his perspective uh, because she's pregnant and he knows that, um, that he had nothing to do with it. And so, um, verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus uh, just declares in and of itself that God is salvation. Um, and so as we continue on here, Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, I just want to point out that one of the things that we see uh, as a common denominator uh, between uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptizer, and and Mary and Joseph, uh, one of the common denominators we see th- throughout um, throughout their accounts is is they one they have a very deep and pure uh, fear of the Lord, a desire to please the Lord. Um, number two, they are they are people of of uh, of obedience and and faithfulness to God. And when we see the angels speak to um, each of them, they respond with faith, uh, faith action um, that shows that they're taking God at His word. Well, let's let's uh, flip on over to uh, Luke chapter two this morning. Verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, this would be all the Roman world. Um, Rome had had its tentacles spread far and wide across uh, across um, this part of the world. And um, v- verse two, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own home. So the way that uh, this was organized was that. Um, there was this thing called taxation back then. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and uh, Rome uh, had its way of, of collecting taxes from the areas that Rome had, had conquered. And um, w- one of the, the uh, just a, a little bit of a side note with um, the way that Rome reached out into the world and, and took over these areas, it was... It was uh, not, there, there was a, a type of, of, of brutality to um, the way Rome could operate, uh, but yet there was also a way in which um, they, they uh, 
sought to Romanize peoples um, rather than kind of iron-fistedly just lock down and clamp them down and force them uh, to do everything as it is in Rome. And so their desire was to kind of uh, Romanize people and cultures and things without... uh, So the Jews were, by and large, allowed to just be Jews, but their lifestyle and uh, the influences around them would provide a sort of Romanization to life. One of those was that uh, taxation was a reality for them. And the way that Rome sought to uh, make sure that everyone was paying their fair share was to make sure they knew who everybody was. And so they had them register a a census, um, and they would have to sort of report in, register uh, according to their their tribe and, and and family where they're from. And so that's, that's what's going on here. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So they, they, it's not just Joseph and Mary here going to be registered, but there's a mass of people uh, moving around, um, going to various places to register, one of these places being Bethlehem. Um, that uh, the descendants here of, of David were reporting in here in Bethlehem. And so it, a lot of people come into town. And so everywhere you could stay, there were people there. Um, and so it, as they came to town looking for where they were going to stay, um, this is, I always had in my mind like, um, this this nasty little innkeeper that's like, you know, there's like one place they could stay and this nasty little innkeeper comes out and goes, there's no room for you here, you know? Like, wow, you turned a pregnant woman away. That's cold. Uh, but the reality is that um, if you've ever been, any of you ever traveled and you thought, hey, we'll just spend the night in Sturgis, Right during the rally, though you didn't know the rally was going on, right? And you get there and you're like, you can't get a hotel within a hundred miles of there. Um, it was it was like that. Um, it there was just no more places. I remember um, sidebar here. Uh, I was moving out to my friends were moving me out to driving out to uh, Montana State where I was getting ready to start school, and um, one of our one of our places, we just kind of, you know, we're young guys. We're like, hey, we'll just stop here tonight. And it happened to be Sturgis and uh, uh, during the rally. And um, like, no, th- there's no room for you here. And, and I remember this, we were at this just dive of a hotel where like maybe they have something. And the gal goes, uh, no, I don't have any rooms. But I... I I have this cousin. We're like, okay, we're, uh, we'll just sleep in the trucks. You know, we're good. Uh, but that's what it was like in, in Bethlehem. There just were no more places 
to put people. And so, um, so here we are then um, with Mary. It says, uh, <laughs> it says that um, the time came for her to give birth. Like, uh, I, now, this means different things to different ones of us in here. To the guys, you're like, okay, yeah. So I get it. So there's a progression of things. To the women, you're like, you know what this means. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, now. Now is the time. It's happening right now. We're not waiting any longer. So um, this is the time where she's to give birth. And right in the midst of all this busyness that's going on in Bethlehem, and they're traveling, and uh, all this going on. But remember... And I think it just punctuates that God's timing is absolutely perfect. The scriptures actually even say that it was just at the right time that God brought Christ into the world. God's timing is absolutely perfect. And so here we are, um, no place for them in the end. And she wraps Jesus up in, in these cloths and and lays them down where the where the animals feed verse 8 and in the same region where were there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear god's angels and and his glory um, always seem to provoke a, a fearful type response from folks throughout Scripture. And, um, you know, we can read that and, and, and think, wow, you know, that, w- that would be something, you know, for the angels to appear to you and the glory of the Lord to shine around you. And, and uh, I'm not sure what we have pictured in our minds, but, what, but the reality of what happened and what we see when with uh, whether it's Zechariah or Mary or whomever, even throughout the Scriptures, that when the appearance of God's representative, the angels, or God's glory is is present, uh, that there is a response of fear. And my question that that I have uh, is why? Why fear? Well, I think it's just the the reality that it is a natural impulsive reaction of sinners confronted with the holiness of God. We 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 intuitively know without having to dwell on it that we are guilty beings. We're guilty before God. It's like um it's the reason you let off the gas pedal when you see a police car. It's a guilty conscience. Um, it's, it's the reason that, uh, you know, you, you um, I, I, I don't know, won't look your mom in the eye when she comes around the corner and, and you've been hanging out in the kitchen for a little bit. Like there's, you, you know, there's this, you, this response where it's like you automatically respond with this fear inside of you because we have a guilty conscience. We're creatures with a guilty conscience because we're guilty. And when we're confronted with the presence of a holy God who is our judge, there is a response in us that we can't control 
because it, it reminds us of our guilt and what we justly deserve. Even if we don't cognitively think about it, our soul knows it really well. That before our righteous and holy Creator, we're guilty. And so it's not a surprise then when each of these people, even though Mary and Joseph, we, we look at them and say, man, these are, are the type of people that, that God seeks. These are the type of people that we, we ought to be like. Um, even they are sinful human beings in need of a Savior. And the shepherds are no different when confronted with the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shining around them. Their response is fear. But look, keep going. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The, the word there for good news is euangelizo. Uh, uh, so it's the word that, you, that we would kind of, if you could see it, um, it looks a bit like evangelize, right? So um, it, it actually means good news. It, it, it's, a, it's what we, it's the word that's used there to, to, um, to proclaim that there's, there's something going on here that it's more like, it's more than just, uh, here's, a, here's a good bit of news. Wow, I received good news today. This is a, a earth-shattering good news. This is the type of good news that, it, that speaks to God's kindness towards sinners, that, that God is bringing salvation to sinners. It's the gospel message. The good news that God so loved the world that He's giving His only Son to rescue, redeem, to save the world. Alright, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this actually... um, it sounds very similar, verse 11 sounds very similar to something that the, that, uh, the prophet Isaiah recorded for us in uh, chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah. For to us a child is born. Now this was long before Christ was born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born. And here um, the proclamation is, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Uh, This is really interesting to me for a couple different reasons. One, because it seems to just be a a sort of echo of the prophet Isaiah. Um, Now, if... Even, uh, even, not, even Jews who were not super well educated would have probably been familiar with, uh, with Isaiah the prophet. Um, and, uh, and, the, and many of the things that um, God spoke through Isaiah. One of these would have been the pronouncement that of, of this Messiah that would come. And the angel says, for unto you, which I find particularly interesting because the shepherds here, um, this you, is, uh, 
it kind of it kind of speaks on a few different levels because it says for unto you is born this day um, and and right before that it says that this good news is for all the people and so this who is this you this you is it, it works on many different levels here it's a you that's that that puts the shepherds as representatives of of humanity to receive this message the the shepherds receiving this message on behalf of all of humanity to you humankind as this message is delivered to the shepherds it's also to you the shepherds like some of the uh i, I mean they're they're not necessarily the most respected people in the culture they don't have sort of the the most prominent place in their culture yet to you the shepherds this message is being given to israel um, John, John's gospel, he says that, um, that Christ came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. That is, that he came first to his own people to deliver this message of good news, that Christ comes to save the lost and sinners, to reconcile them to God. And, and so we have the, the shepherds being representatives of humanity with receiving this message, representatives of Israel in receiving this message, and then just being themselves. You. This message is for you. For unto you this day is born a Savior. How overwhelming that must be. I mean, the shepherds are probably, I mean, they probably like their job in some regards being just where they are not surrounded by people all day. Right? There's, uh, um, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but dealing with people is, is, is not always easy. You know, it can be challenging. Um, and, and the shepherds, in, in some respects, are like, you know, they probably don't care to be in the limelight a whole lot here. Um, and they're okay with that. And here they are now being put as sort of the ambassadors of the message that God is doing something extraordinary, amazing, timeless here, right here, at this moment. And so let's see how, how they respond to this. It says, uh, so for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Actually, before we move on, I wanted to kind of break this down just a hair. Um, so the announcement is that what, who is born? A Savior. Who is this Savior? Christ the Lord. Uh, the word Savior here, just it, it, I mean, we, you probably kind of have a sense of what Savior means. One who saves, it's a deliverer. It's a heroic, conquering rescuer. One who's coming at a time when humanity desperately needs someone to step in and rescue. Rescue from what? Rescue from God's wrath against sin. Humanity is in desperate need of a Savior. And who is this Savior? It's Christ, the Lord. Christ, or uh, Christos, it means anointed, Messiah, Son of God. So there's this pronouncement that there's a Savior. The Savior is Messiah, Son of God, the Anointed One, chosen by God. And what is He? He's the Lord. Kurios, the Master, He's the one to whom 
you belong. Um, the one who has a rightful rule and dominion over your life. That is his rightful place. And it's this, this baby who is born who is the Savior. The one who, who comes in and, and conquers the enemy to rescue those who are held captive. The one who is God's Messiah. The chosen one. The anointed one. Who also has his rightful place in your life as ruler. Ruler over your life. Your, your mind. Your heart. Your soul. All of who you are. That is his rightful place. Why? Uh, because he's your creator who is now stepping in to be also your savior. For this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The glory, glory to God is the pronouncement um, by the heavenly host. And I, as uh, I, I, I'm just thinking about this, that this, this glory that is proclaimed, and do you know that, that uh, scriptures say the angels are still kind of trying to figure out God sending a Savior for us. So they're, they're, they're still learning on the fly here about what, what all this is about. And here the angels are proclaiming the arrival of the Savior. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now this is especially appropriate because this one who is born... Not only is, is he Savior, not only is he Christ, not only is he rightfully your Lord, but he is also of the glory of God. Because he is God. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to actually look at this through the, uh, the, the New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything, for God, is in all, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus Christ is, sometimes we'll call him the God-man. It's just a way of saying, not only did he come in human flesh like real as a real human being, but he also was still fully God. 
And he came to give his life for us that we would have peace through his blood. Now when the, when the shepherds hear this, uh, when the angels went away, verse 15, when angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Uh, this is really cool to me because the, the shepherds have this proclamation given to them, this message of good news that a Savior's been born. The Savior that Isaiah spoke of, that God spoke of through Isaiah, uh, that, that Savior, He's been born. It's Christ and He's Lord. And this, this pronouncement um, moves them to take action. Uh, this, this, is the, this is faith. That's what faith looks like. If you've wondered what faith is, and especially like in this day and age where we'll just throw out this word belief and have faith as if like, I don't know, it's like something you find, I don't know, in your couch cushion or something. It's like it's, it's just not a weighty thing that really requires much of you. But this is what faith looks like. Faith is when we really take hold of something that we truly trust. It moves us to take action where we lean upon that, tr- that, that information. So, um, and I've used this example for you, but I, I, I keep using it because, I don't know, maybe I'm just I, not real creative, but it just seems to like make the point to me that each of you have trust, have faith in these pews and those chairs back there. How do I know? Because you're sitting in them. You put the weight of yourself into it because you trusted ahead of time that it would hold you. Um, if, it, if you didn't, uh, you wouldn't be sitting there. That would be evidence of a lack of faith. Here, the shepherds exhibit faith. Because as soon as the angels get done speaking to them, they say, let us go. Let's go find this baby. They don't, um, they don't overthink this, the shepherds. They don't like, well, let's have, all right, thanks angels. We'll have a meeting. We'll kind of discuss this. We'll kind of see what we think. Come to a consensus about what we, what we think is what we're going to believe here. They're like, the angels spoke to them. They're like, let's go. They respond out of faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, talks about faith this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Um, faith is, is, is uh, uh, in fact, James talks about faith. The book of James talks about faith. Faith is, isn't just something you just have a hold of. It's something that it, it's, a, it's a level of trust that moves you to have some sort of outward response, an inward response to it. Where you put the full weight of who you are in what God has revealed. Let's keep, keep going here. So the shepherds take action uh, and, and they, they head for Bethlehem, verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I'm interested to know who all heard it. Um, verse 18 says, and all who heard it, like I picture, like I've pictured that it's just Mary and Joseph, but I don't know who all was there actually. I, I have no idea to know who all was gathered around to, to this, you know, for some it may have been curiosity, like there's a lady who gave birth. Let's go check it out. I don't know. People stopping by with hot dishes and I don't know who all was there, but there were, it says to uh, that everyone who heard what the shepherds had to share, um, were they're amazed. They're 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 wondering about these things. Now, one of the things that is there's like this uh, such a, an interesting thing that God is bringing about, and um, every time God does something or says something. Um, he, he never does so without a purpose. And here, he picks the shepherds to receive this message. And you know who they're receiving the message about? The good shepherd. The birth of the good shepherd. The, the, the ultimate shepherd. It's the shepherds who are first receiving this message that the best shepherd that there ever was and ever will be, has just been born. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here's the interesting thing. To the shepherds was given this news. Consider, who were, what were the shepherds responsible for? The care of the sheep. Perhaps, some of these sheep were ahead. Their destination would have been sacrifice for the sins of the people. So the shepherds are shepherding. They're shepherding the lambs that are becoming sacrifices for the people for sin. And who is it that's pronounced to them? The very Lamb of God being born. John chapter 1. John the Baptist's view was this. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The pronouncement of the Good Shepherd and the Lamb of God to the shepherds. And they're going around. It seems like they're telling everybody who will listen at this point. It's the shepherds who seem to be the very first evangelists. The very, the very first ones who are, are going and sharing the good news seem to be the shepherds. And they're pretty excited about this. And look how Mary responds, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Uh, this, I, the, the word here, treasured, it, it means that she preserved. She held tightly what had been shared to her as as having such uh, a profound importance. Now, Mary's interacting with the birth of Jesus in a different way than perhaps uh, many of the other people who are, take part in this because not only is she a participant in the unfolding of God's plan of salvation, Christ come into the world, but she's also giving birth to this child. 
his mother and caring for him and seeing through the eyes of a mother. And, and she's taking all this in and treasuring these things, and it says, and pondering them. Now, um, I think this is more than those special moments you get with your kids where you just go, you, you kind of take a deep breath and you try to solidify what it feels like and, and just that moment. There are some of those as a parent that, that I've had where you just, like, you just, you kind of want more than just a picture of this moment. You want to remember what it feels like. You want to remember uh, everything about that moment. And, and I think it's more than that for Mary. That, that, it, that that's part of it, but it's more than that. That when it says she's pondering these things, um, she's taking all that's going on, what's been proclaimed to her directly through the angel. I'm sure that Joseph has shared with her what happened to him in the dream. The angel came to him and talked to him. Um, She's talked with Zechariah and Elizabeth and all that God had spoken to them and seeing the, the birth of John the baptizer and um, all these things unfolding and now the shepherds are showing up and all these things she's just thinking very deeply on and twisting and turning and, and, and trying to wrap her head around all that's going on and what it all means to understand it all as fully as possible. And I doubt there's anyone more motivated. In fact, Mary's the only one we're told. Um, I mean, there may have been other folks who pondered these things, but we're only told about Mary pondering these things. Mary, out of all of the people, participants in, in Christ's coming, um, it seems to have uh, the most motivation here to just like, I want to I understand what's going on and what I'm a part of and what God is doing through me. Mary treasures up all these things. And the shepherds, verse 20, the shepherds return and they're still evangelizing. They're still sharing the good news. They're glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, um, when, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Being circumcised on the eighth day was the custom, uh, uh, was the sign of the old covenant, um, and and Jesus grows up in 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 the midst of a people operating out of the old covenant. But what does he say when uh, when he sits with his disciples at the last supper? This is the blood, the new covenant, my covenant. You know, as we consider the, the shepherds here today um, and, and Mary's response to it, I want to encourage you as you, as you take in the gospel message, as you take in the, the account of the birth of Christ, to let your heart, let your mind, let your soul treasure in pondering the coming of a Savior the coming of Jesus Christ, that God would send His Son to earth as a baby for the purpose of growing up to become your sacrifice. Ponder that. 
hold tightly to that truth. And let the good news of your Savior and the love of God move you to action. Like the shepherds. What God has done ought to move you to respond to it. It shouldn't leave you sitting there numb to the whole deal. But you should respond to it. God has reached down from heaven to earth to rescue you because if He doesn't, you and I are destined for God's wrath. And He has provided a way for us to be rescued. May you and I follow in the footsteps of the shepherds, sharing the good news of Christ, acting upon the, with faith what God has revealed to us. Because the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, has come for us. The Lamb of God has become our sacrifice. And we've received life and forgiveness because of Him. Today we, we come together and remember this forgiveness through the receiving of communion together. It's where we celebrate and remember that God gave His Son for us. That Christ went to the cross and paid for our sins. He was hung there as a criminal and not only took upon Himself the punishment of man, but more importantly, the punishment of God against our sin. And we remember that as we receive the elements here today. The bread that represents His body, the juice that represents His blood, both of which were given for us. This morning as we come together for that, um, just remind you that there are two stations back there and one up here where you can take the elements and return to your seat with them and then we'll receive them all together. But as you do so, let your heart and mind ponder deeply what it is that God has done for you to save you, what you deserve compared to what you're being given. That if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you, if you, have, if you have asked the Lord to forgive you and, and you have placed your faith in Christ to be your Savior and, you're, and have submitted your life to Him as your Lord, the one who has the rightful rule and authority over you now, and He's the good shepherd who takes care of you, so who better else to entrust your life with? If you have done that, um, then as we come together, we remember what God has done for us in a very special and personal way. Just as Mary responded when the angel said, you're going to give birth to a Savior, she says, look what God has done for me. God has done it for all of us, but we feel it individually and personally. God has rescued not just all of us, but He's rescued me, a sinner, who doesn't deserve anything but God's punishment, and He's rescued me. Ponder that deeply as, as we uh, come to this time. I'll pray for us and then I would ask you to make your way to one of the stations where you take the elements and return to your seat with them. Father, we are so grateful that you would love us so much that you would give your son, your one and only son, to become a sacrifice for sin, 
of sin for us. And uh, Lord, that through him we have forgiveness and life. God, it's not something that we could ever attain to. We worship you. We give you praise. Glory to you in the highest because you've brought peace to those who trust in you. We ask as now we gather around um, this table and remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus that, Lord, it would impress us even more deeply than it ever has before how undeserving we are and how precious this gift truly is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, every year, the disciples and Jesus, throughout their lives growing up, they would have celebrated the Passover, kept the tradition of the Passover that remembered what God had done for their people long ago, but also held on to a hope that still uh, was laying out in front of them of what God was yet to do. And this particular night was no different when Jesus gathered with his disciples for that Passover meal. Um, There were some things that were different, though. This particular night, it was Jesus' last night of celebrating the Passover meal um, on earth with, with his disciples. And as they gathered together, this is what he said. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Behold the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do stand with me and join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Walk in the peace of Christ that He brings through reconciling you to a God who is your judge, who now has been reconciled to you and now calls you child. We have a reason to be like the shepherds, to proclaim that message, that good news. And uh, I I would encourage all of you to consider um, coming to to join in at Winterfest, whether you are come as a participant to help out uh, uh, or just to take part in it, um, because uh, this is an opportunity that we as the church have to share the good news, like the shepherds, in our community 
um, to, to many folks who still need to hear and understand what God has done for them. And so I would just invite you to come and, and take part of that as we join together to proclaim that message together. Lord, bless and keep you.